0: Greetings, and welcome to the I.O. Tower, a podcast for all things Tron. I'm your host, David Fleming. This is part two in my three-part series with Tron co-visual effects supervisor, Harrison Ellenshaw. We pick up with Harrison joining the Tron team as they figure out how to do the special effects, what it will cost, and how long it will take. Problems quickly arise, such as inked film cells stuck together, and boxes of film being crushed. Harrison discusses his matte painting of the Incom office cubicle popcorn scene, the only matte painting in Tron. He also discusses the colors used in backlit scenes that give the electronic characters their glow and the challenges in working with multiple colors and exposures. Welcome to the I.O. Tower. Thus began
1: an incredible journey of technical understanding of codeless and high-cons and continuous tones and rotoscoping and it was as i've I've said to people uh before uh, fortunately richard taylor was also the uh, my the co-visual effects supervisor and there were other people who knew more about this stuff than I did. And I was basically the kind of conduit between the studio and these young kids who had done animation for commercials and different kind of things. And it was just, it, it was like, you know, trying to dig a tunnel through a mountain with spoons wow. you know just going oh is this gonna work i don't know keep digging oh it's not working okay back up We're, we went off in the wrong direction okay let's start digging this way and it was an amazing experience because everybody kind of pitched in and so you'd grab a little bit of knowledge from this person over there and this person and It was perhaps one of the movies I'm most proud of. What a crazy, crazy time. Crazy. Disney did not know what to do with us. They couldn't understand. They're gonna glow? What? How do they glow? So the film was budgeted, I think, at 12 million, which was basically one of these budgets where you just kind of get the script and go, oh yeah, I think it's about 12. <laughs> you don't break it down, I, at least I never did. i I have people break it down and then I'd I do the guess. Turned out to go over budget, um, but Donald Kushner and I would have to go to see Ron Miller, who was head of the studio, every time the budget started to creep up, and so we'd go in <laughs> and, and Ron. we'd go in early because Ron came in early, and we didn't have to go through his secretary, uh, which you know she said, well, it's busy and she, Can hold up no and so we'd go in and kind of lie <laughs> beside him and say, uh, and say, what do you want um." When am I going to see some footage from Tron? Well, things are going really well, uh, but we need a little bit more money. Well, if I'm not seeing anything, why do you leave? Let's just say we're exploring more expeditious ways of making it more efficient. You'd go, all right, how much? (laughs) It's like, get out (laughs) of would We'd come up with a figure. And it was always less than we actually wanted. So this would be every other month we'd be going back to the office. <laughs> uh, yeah, things are going very well. Um, in fact, uh, we don't have any footage right now, but we do have some wedges which show the you know the interaction and shows uh, and, and so. Uh, he said, well, what are these? I can't see them. So next time we went back, we took a light box with us to plug into the wall. Wow. And I, he said, what's that? I said, well, we're now going to show you some of the work that is being done. And I, and I said, where's, where's the plug? <laughs> I couldn't find the plug. <laughs> it, was, it was so crazy. And so we'd ask for another couple of million, and <laughs> that for another couple of million. I think, I think we had to go back three or four times. Wow. But to his credit, he kept the faith, and it's now a cult classic. One day, I said, you know, at this, the rate we're going now, we'll never be finished. I mean, we'd still be working on some of those shots. And um, we had to come up with an idea to... It was all done within the studio. How are we going to get this done? And some of the... So we spent a day. It was John Sheely. It was Richard Taylor. It was Donald Kushner. Probably Stephen and myself. And we just went into into a room and started throwing out theories. And one of them was, you know... I seem to be the only one that did the math because uh-huh. I'd seen what the TED, how to get the showreel for NATO done. And I just go, okay, so how many minutes? How many frames? And now you're getting, so we've got a rotoscope and then we've got effects animation. So we're looking at 700,000 codeless and cells. Wow. Kodak. Kodak won't be able to make that and we'll have to use animation cells. Well, we have to have them punched. We have to, I, I mean, it's just everything. How do we get them from A to B? Who's going to carry them? What kind of boxes will we put them in? So the first boxes we put them in, Crushed, oh. we sent 80% of it to Taiwan, to Cuckoo's Nest, um, where they did the it was a miracle. And then wow. they would put them back in these boxes, and the boxes would, you know, fly back, and so the boxes are stacked. And the bottom boxes were split apart, it seems. Mm. So now, I I am now an expert on boxes. <laughs> pencil strength and all that stuff. So we're going, well, we've got to get new boxes. Well, they don't make them that size. I said, okay, <laughs> let's find a place that makes boxes. Right. It's gonna cost a little more so, well okay. now they came back and cuckoo's nest was under such incredible pressure. they were working around the clock literally. and so the they would sleep at their desks, they would do the the rotoscoping and paint and the painting, and then put them on drying shelves as you mm. do traditional animation. so the ink and paint. People can have them dry, and they take, you know, a couple of days, and you go shoot them. We didn't have time for that. So they put them on drying shelves and said, you know, hurry up, hurry up. up." (laughs) So they shipped them in these bad boxes, and um, we've, instead of having the four Disney down shooters, we needed other ones. So eventually we ended up with 13 or 14 spread throughout town. Now we had to find a way to standardize the backlight boxes. Mm. So everybody, yeah, every light is
0: different. Yeah, every frame would be different uh, in appearance and
1: exposure. So color timing and all that. So John Sheely, who worked miracles, figured it out. I was kind of still off in the... Uh, <laughs> he performed a miracle. Anyway, so the boxes of cells come by. I'm at home uh at dinner probably getting ready to bed i get a call and it's from one of the uh one of the the operators uh on the down shooter um and he's almost in tears and i said well what's what's wrong he goes all the cells are stuck together
0: oh my goodness okay (laughs) wow what are you gonna do
1: Well, uh, again, you do the simple math, and then you call up Arnie Wong, who's in Taiwan, and Mm -hmm. you say, Arnie, I don't care what time it is there, stop everything. You've got to start. And he did. He was going to have done the movie without Arnie. Oh, wow. It, It was a film that was unique in so many ways very proud of how well crew responded because you, you you weren't looking at had to write up all sorts of new forms make them in triplicate as i said make new boxes so that they would fit when they came back and um i guess the tribute to that is that we never lost one single cell codolith or anything else there, wow. yeah
0: how many cells were there again, I think you mentioned them?
1: I think with all the different things the animation and so on and so forth, um, the rotoscoping, the painting, the three stages there were about two hundred thousand and we had to we had to pull in these large uh, industrial type trailers onto the lot. There was no place to to keep the cells. And um, we're just getting started, just coming up to speed and finding different ways. And I think it was Bill Croyer and Jerry Reese who were out in one of these trailers in the parking lot, you know, right next yeah. to them. And um, so Richard and I, uh, Richard Taylor, who is the, uh, the, the co supervisor of visual effects. Would make our rounds every day. I'd just check on every department. And, you know, try to make a list of what, what we call Sheely fixes, which was John Sheely. It, it would, I digress a little bit, but we'd go into dailies one day, and there'd be something wrong with it, and somebody'd say, "Well, it could be this and that." And uh, if it wasn't, if it wasn't easily detected, it would be. Ca- It'd go down on the, on the list as a Sheely fix. So John Sheely would then have to decode and figure out how the hell to make it work. Right. It was amazingly efficient because uh, it was so good. Anyway, um, so Richard Taylor and myself thought, okay, it's raining outside. Those poor guys are sitting out in the tiny little thing. We'll go in and check. We went in and the thing, the the little caravan, which uh, was not like huge trailers we see today, um, uh, was leaking like a sieve. I mean, this thing, they had buckets, they had towels, and here they are trying to airbrush and ink and paint. And it was, (laughs) so I think Richard and I kind of looked at each other and said, Okay, guys. Uh, good job. Um, we'll check back on you later. And we went outside and just went. Oh God, what <laughs> next? <laughs> well, what next came? Uh, that went to the head of uh, head of the studio, head of production, who didn't really like us because Tron was just a pain the side, and they were trying to get Epcot done. So it was a strain. Mm. Said to him, "Got to get new trailers." Oh yeah but they're going to cost money i said yes good point i <laughs> it was it was amazing I, I i look back with fondness of course you know, we tend to you know, kind of gloss over the difficulties but finding solutions as a team is always the most satisfying Whoa. Never dismiss a suggestion. Hmm. Never know somebody might have a silly. There are no silly answers. There are silly questions, but uh, it, it's the it's the process of, of managing. You know, as I've said, uh, it was like uh, tunneling through a mountain with spoons. Wow! And we
0: got it done. That's amazing.
1: It was amazing. Couldn't do it today. Oh well, younger people this is just good they cheat they do use computers
0: yeah that's what i do i use computers i i cheat all day today i've been playing with this uh, crystal cave scene in, in the virtual reality oh uh, that's great trying to uh, replicate that and I'm still struggling with some of the fine-tuning of the perspective and uh, but it's getting there and I'm, I'm really excited about it um, i'm learning that um, if i get the field of view off by one degree or so in the camera matching attempt of that scene that that changes the depth by almost two meters in some of the objects that <laughs> so yeah. I've made a few iterations but I think I think it's homing in well perspective
1: is not uh, even these days it's a it's a it's an art and a science and you know as I've said before it's one of the tools you use to add 3d to a flat screen right and if you don't Respect it, and if you don't understand it, uh, you can get in a mess in a big hurry.
0: Tell me more about the backdrop of the office cubicle scene, if you will, in Encom. Uh, the scene where uh, where uh, Bruce Boxleitner, um, the scene where Alan, me, uh, yeah, the scene where Alan's coming up out of his cubicle to go see Dillinger and his office mate, who we know to be the user for the program RAM. Asks if he can have some of his popcorn. He says, "Sure, <laughs> go ahead." And that that depth in that scene is remarkable. It makes it look like a massively huge office complex. And tell me some about how you you went about designing that. What? How did you come up with that layout? What inspired you with that look? And uh, talk also about the details of how you had to match that to the camera.
1: Well, that was uh, <clears throat> the the only traditional matte painting in the movie, which I was very enthused about because we didn't have any kind of on the on the schedule and it was uh, so I we we shot the the plate the live action plate for Bruce and Dan Shore
0: that's right that's right
1: yeah um, and, <laughs> and uh, Stephen uh, Bonnie bird or both of them came up with the the reason you know what 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 are we trying to say here and um what we were trying to say or what the writers were trying to say is that the cubicles of of offices now everywhere everybody has a cubicle and um for many reasons one you can't afford to have everybody have their individual office and all that stuff but it becomes a pretty sterile environment and sometimes it, I'm, I'm not a big fan of that because people are just kind of hanging out going hey, what are you working on oh. and it, it doesn't lead to most productive atmospheres right. so basically it's a little like the military you got to keep checking on everybody and say okay Move it along, move it along. what have you done and um but w- and the the idea of a deserted office was intriguing mm. and uh, and then you also had the level of oh God, called up to the to the big boss and um i i I just thought it it really worked and um it it was it was nice and it was. It was great fun to come up with the solution for the desk with the push buttons on the desk. Uh, now everybody oh, has
0: Dellinger desk. Yeah. yeah.
1: So um, that was that was the art department's responsibility, but the person that really made it work was Peter Anderson, because it was it's a projection, but it's on a flat surface, so you got to project. Under the you raise the set and then you have the projector out there and it bounces off of a mirror into there and of course David Warner played it perfectly because you run the film and he's got to he's got to hit the button at the right time for the animation to show up and uh, it's another one of those times where oh God that looks great
0: yeah I never had any idea that. You know, when I think about it, of course, it, it makes sense that that technology wasn't really there at the time. No. But it is so seamless and flawless that it, it really gives a sense of very Added future technology. To the the touchscreens that we have. Right. Yeah, should have patented. <laughs> That's for sure. One, uh, one more question on the, the uh, matte painting for the office scene. How physically big is a painting like that or how big was that painting?
1: well it still exists it's in. I'm glad to say it's in the uh, Disney archives and it it so there was two thirty thirty 30 inches high and probably 65 70 inches across okay so it was 2.2 2 to 1 um, and uh, it took a it took a while to do it i i don't necessarily I've, I've never painted huge paintings because then it just doesn't work for me I have done some pretty big ones but um you got to keep it manageable you've got you've got to be able to step back from it and see the whole thing because when you're painting up close you 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 have tunnel vision and then you step back and it's kind of not right the perspective, of course, is very important, but I was uh, learning perspective was something that my mentor, Alan Maley, mm. and my father, my father had a different approach to it. They were sticklers. And, you no, you got it wrong. Okay, this vanishing point, this van. you know, three point, two point, one point. Ah, uh, mm. and I've with with CG, you just put it in and then you. You know, and then it out it comes, and if you know what you're doing, it works. Uh, so you can even use that as a template. Uh, but in back in back in those days, uh, matching horizons, and sometimes when you don't have horizons to match to, makes it makes it very tricky.
0: Well, it must have been very tricky, and I admire that. I'm just in all the skill you have to, to make that work with perspective on the matte paintings. Um, even with today's digital technology, and I'm using a, a program called F-SPY, which is a camera matching program, which lets me drag axes and you know two dimensions to find the vanishing points on a photograph. And uh, it even has a way to find the, the third vanishing point. Or, and I learned about the concept of an image or a camera midpoint. And uh, even with all that powerful drag-and-drop tool to show me the guides of the crystal cave map painting, for example, um, I still find it very hard. Um, and it gives me a deep appreciation for, for the complexity put into or uh, an appreciation for the thought put into the perspectives of that painting. Uh, and again, with today's technology, I still can't quite dial in that old, that old piece of artwork. Uh, I'm struggling with it.
1: <laughs> A lot of it is uh, before computers came along, um, art directors, uh, the art department uh, were great whizzes at back projection. In other words, seeing the the item, the model or whatever, and then they would draw, they would kind of go in and re- reverse engineering. So when i was first taught that that blew me away i thought oh god i get it well i kind of got it but <laughs> and it it just not it well it doesn't need to be taught today but the whole feeling of understanding it held me in really good stead as i went through went, went through my career in in visual effects and, Simple things like um, putting the background blue screen behind a car, a Herbie or something. What do you see out there? Well, is it going uphill? Is it going downhill? And, um, you know, one day I'm going to get a T-shirt that says, don't forget to match the horizons. (laughs) That's just the first part of it. And also match the lenses and uh, otherwise it just and i still see stuff today that you know most of it is absolutely perfect but every now and then go ah oh, didn't match the horizons and they're not going uphill or down you know? yeah yeah but i i don't know i it, it, this is all very important stuff that uh doesn't help me today right <laughs> <laughs> it's like oh, okay so and i you know i my girlfriend, uh, you know, I get a little excited about it, and she'll go, oh, okay. <laughs> but, sweetheart, it was for, because you could have the – and then, you know, she goes, oh, jeez, you're so boring. Is <laughs> she still with me?
0: Yesterday, I was running around the house saying, oh, I had the perspective wrong. I'm going to have to correct all my coordinates. And uh, And my wife just sort of giggled at me, just correct your coordinates. That's funny. <laughs>
1: It's another T-shirt. Correct
0: your coordinates. Yeah, that's for sure. I definitely want to take the uh, map painting of the office scene from Tron and play with that too to practice on its perspectives. And and I, of course, uh, I don't have enough time to do all of this, but I would like to recreate so much of the world of Tron inside the virtual reality environment of the Oculus Quest.
1: One of the things is that you in reality you don't see that because there are no posts. in in the middle so that was that was part of the
0: ah the
1: idea of how many little bits and pieces are we uh, suspending disbelief because if somebody looks at it carefully and goes wait a minute physics and you know you can't hold up
0: i never thought of that yeah
1: that's amazing
0: see there's just this is yet another little Easter egg of sorts for, for those who are paying attention to Tron that you can find in this movie. It's just amazing.
1: Well, it, to be a good mad artist, um, you have to understand architecture. I wanted, at one point in my life, I wanted to be an architect. And then I realized, oh my God, it's, you know, it's more schooling than becoming a, a doctor. I mean, you've got to know this stuff you got to know Mullions and gothic and uh, Thinnel and stuff uh, I was just bl- Blathering that out But luckily, once again Alan Maley and my father Knew this stuff cold wow. They knew neo-gothic From whatever So as I learned about that I learned about the engineering Of architecture Why you needed big posts in there And why that that would hinder, in my view, that nobody's going to question. Well, that can't be real. It's you know. It's a... <laughs> no, it's by the way, Yoda's not a real person. <laughs> yeah.
0: about um the the look and feel of tron the the colors i think i had read somewhere that the colors of the video warriors uh, which ended up being essentially a, a blue for the good guys and red for the bad guys um i think i read somewhere that there were some um considerations of different colors is that is it true that you went through what kind of color scheme iterations did you go through to arrive at the colors used in tron
1: Well, uh, we were very ambitious, we felt. uh, We could use colors to differentiate uh, characters. And then, you know, we ran into the brick wall of, okay, how are you going to do that? Well, that means, let's say you add yellow. Okay, that means different separations from that character. And what happens when that character walks behind another character? and again it went into the you know the kind of blender and you know we would do you know cocktail napkin math Go, okay that means this many more elements this much okay can't do it um but and it was kind of a disappointment and then we had to choose okay if, if we have good guys and bad guys which one gets which color and uh so the, there was some discussion, you know, the good guys should be strong, red is strong. Uh, well, then what do you make the bad guys, uh, you know, periwinkle? No. <laughs> so you got to make the bad guys red and you got to make the good guys blue. I mean, With it, that- as I said earlier, this, it, every little detail was a meeting. Yeah. When they when they drink from the water, do they you know wipe their face? No, this is a movie. Don't worry about it. Right. Hockey helmets what kind of work. I, I, it was wonderful. Um,
0: the the color of Clue, I think was a yellowish orange uh, hue in in uh, in Tron. Yeah,
1: well he was. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean the
0: I wondered if that was a, a color that was being used for part of the effects or and then then a change was made but i think
1: well that's a, that's a tough one i i all i can remember is that the scene of uh, jeff bridges spinning in that
0: that saw that are you referring to the uh, inside of the tank
1: yeah
0: you're the best program that's ever been written you're dogged and relentless remember
1: let me adam that's the spirit that was so thing. crazy ambitious. Okay, so we it spins this way and you thing this way and da, 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 da. Okay.
0: Uh, that was a beautiful. Hey, Mr. Thing.
1: Did you uh, you got that? Yeah, okay. Good. <laughs> <laughs> I, and it's still one of one of my favorites. I used to have a blow up on yeah. my wall.
0: Well I'm determined one day you know, in all the days that I'm sure I won't have I keep telling myself that I'm going to build that someday and have that as my office so I can sit inside the Tron tank and turn one direction while the outer ring of it turns the other direction. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I don't could know. That really done. <laughs> Dr. Dave. Yeah. Speaking of, uh, you mentioned hockey helmets. Uh, let me uh, show you this a second. Here we go. Mm. So there's a Cooper SK 2000 hockey helmet. I got off of eBay for about 50 bucks and studied stills from the film the, for hours and hours and hours. And, and I used masking tape to mask off one area at a time and airbrush. Oh, my goodness. And, uh, flat black. Ugh. So I, I had a lot of fun doing this. I'm actually working on another one right now. This will be Kevin Flynn's helmet. So this was my attempt at a replica prop helmet.
1: Well, it's better, it's better than the real thing.
0: Well, thank I, you. I made it to fit me perfectly. So there we go. <laughs> <laughs>
1: nice. Thank you. Very nice. You have to take uh, the next step and start making codeless and uh negatives of that and so you can, and then track it all and so it can glow right
0: <laughs> I, I don't have the courage for that um well
1: it's not courage it's it's blind arrogance and
0: ignorance combined together yeah,
1: yeah <laughs> we can do that
0: <laughs> well i got a little bit of that myself i guess in the digital realm um I consider it sort of cheating but um I was able to write some software to to separate the elements of that electronically and color code um parts of that helmet it it reminds me it's funny I I did a Christmas special video of sorts a couple of years ago and I or I put another video up where I had the lines color green and I remember you commented on Facebook it was I was so honored that you that you even noticed that you commented, but you said green is not a Tron color, and green is for frogs. And I thought that was so funny. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, ever since then I've been wondering, is green a Tron color? And uh, so I for the longest time it in, that actually proved to be a, a helpful comment because only at that point did I decide to actually study and sort of count the colors that I could find in the movie Tron. and um, Up to that point, the good guys were blue and the bad guys were red. And there was one time when when, uh, Kevin Flynn's character turned red because that's what he did. But it was blue and red. But uh, sure enough, as I went through that movie and just studied it in detail, the the number of colors is just immense and amazing. And, And what you all brought to the scenes, one after another after another, of vibrant colors and stripes and panels. And it's just overwhelming, to be honest. I just don't know how how you made that all happen but it's truly amazing
1: well as i say it was a team effort and i, I can't specifically remember but you may have noticed that when the the extras the guy looking like a vacuum tube and
0: things yes like
1: that, it was a wonderful opportunity to say okay well is he a good guy a bad guy no he's a aquamarine guy okay fine let's do that <laughs> but still every time you you changed the colors and green is especially tricky because it's on part of the spectrum where for example um, you don't really want to have green titles on a film mm. because when they fade out they f- with other titles with a the red outline you can't use the same fade on the exposure because one will hang in there ah. that color reciprocity and blah, 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 all that stuff.
0: Wow. The scene where Flynn is driving what's left of the recognizer and crashes through the wall into an area where it looks like a lot of just, as you said, neither good nor bad programs, just programs walking around. Oh, this town is full of live ones. I really love that scene for the design of the costumes. It looked like a chance to show off uh, from the costume design department and also just from the coloring of the film. really beautiful yeah.
1: scene. And it, once again, kudos to Jeff Bridges, who bought into this stuff i mean his you know his look of all those things and the costume design for that stuff i mean it was it was just crazy. it was crazy, but it worked you know. How about if we use steel wool? How about if we use this? Why not? <laughs> I mean, it was it, it was it was so intense because you know Stephen, Donald Kushner, the producer, Richard Taylor, John Sheely, myself, and a whole team: Bill Croyer, uh, Jerry Reese, Andy Atkins, I, Bill Ronsey, You know. Doing airbrush uh, in um, on different animation cells, so doing airbrush so that it would animate smoothly. And uh, of course, the, the days of uh, you have to, you have to ignore the possibility that it will ever get done and just go, yeah, well. <laughs> you can't you, look uh, brain surgeons don't give up halfway when they get inside your body go, whoa I've never seen this before you know I don't know if I can finish this yeah I gotta get home to dinner no no <laughs> they just they will it into being they, they make it work it's yeah there were limitations and you know, the anesthesiologist has to do his job, ER nurses and scrub nurses, everybody has their job. And it's that strong link that allows people to live and can never. I'm, I'm not saying making movies is like brain surgery, <laughs> because if we screw up, nobody dies. <laughs>
0: Join us for part three, when Harrison talks about that big door at Income. Can you make it open a little faster? Look,
1: it's 30 tons. What's wrong with you people?
0: Music from the Tron soundtrack. Additional music is Give Us Color by Shin. If you enjoyed this show, please support the I.O. Tower at patreon.com slash program. Until next time, I'm your host, David Fleming. End of line.